We continue today in our Advent series talking about how uh, when Jesus comes to us as an infant and how he is connected to us even still today through the Holy Spirit, uh, we both wait and walk with those key elements of the Christian faith. It's not that we uh, live this life consistently waiting for our hope or consistently waiting for our peace or love or joy. Those things are promised to us uh, now. We learn to walk with those things in our life. Uh, in this Advent, we're looking at how we do that. Uh, today, we're looking at how we walk with peace, and we look at both at the passage that Jean just read uh, and also uh, the uh, prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 uh, through 7. And we read this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in darkness. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. They will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his rule and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> the holidays are, are full of waiting. And starting really back in October, every event seems designed uh, to test the patience of children and adults alike, so that by Christmas, you're really just ready for things to be done. Uh, on Halloween, kids ask every five minutes when it will be time to go trick-or-treating. Uh, at Thanksgiving, we talk with family and friends about our lives while we wait uh, for the food to be ready, especially if it's something that takes a long time. Uh, have you ever arrived at your family's house and they're just putting something in the oven and you go, oh no, <laughs> how long will we be here actually? Uh, this, this, year, our, this year our girls were fascinated by watching things bake uh, in the oven. So you, know, you can turn a light on uh, and look. So one of them uh, pulled up a chair and they were sitting with, her little, with their little brother giving us a minute by minute breakdown about how the cookies we're, we're baking. It was sort of the, the slowest commentary in the world. Uh, so it looks, it looks really hot in there. Uh, you know, five minutes later, the chocolate looks melty. The timer goes off. It's done. Um, we can eat. Waiting is a part 
of the holidays. And it comes with holiday travel. It comes with uh, waiting for presents. We've all spent time waiting in line. Uh, if we're flying somewhere at security or, or for the plane to get ready or lights to turn green or construction to clear so we could see the people that we love who were waiting for us to arrive. Everyone waits to open gifts on Christmas morning, but we don't just wait during the holidays. This life is full of waiting for things we want or need. We wait in uh, checkout lines at grocery stores for food uh, in the drive-thru or at tables in restaurants. From, we wait from, uh, to hear from doctors with results that could change our lives, or we wait to hear from family that we haven't seen in a long time or who live far away. But we also wait for something deeper. And in an ever more divided and disconnected world, we wait for peace. We long for calm. We learn for this, we yearn for this broken world to change. As believers, our waiting has always reflected our belief that this world can and should and actually will be better one day than it actually is, than it really is right now. We believe that the world should be better, that the innocent shouldn't be uh, casualties of armed conflict, that leaders across the political spectrum should live with integrity, that power shouldn't be abused or used as a tool for evil, that the poor should be remembered and sheltered, that the rich only shouldn't care just for themselves, that the vulnerable should be protected, that, that justice shouldn't be delayed. We know that the world isn't right, and so we wait for the world to be made new. Thankfully, our waiting for the world to change finds full expression in this season of Advent, in this particular time of our church year, because now we remember how Jesus, our Lord and Savior, both came to us as an infant in the manger, but also promised to return and make everything right again. Amid our deepest frustrations, our God asks us to wait and watch, not because he is late or inactive, but because he still moves in our world and in our personal life in ways that we can barely comprehend. Despite the brokenness around us, despite maybe the brokenness in us, he is always working to fulfill his plan of redemption for his people, always remaking the world through his children, always slowly, often imperceptibly restoring what we lost long ago in the garden. As we wait, we are called to look for his presence in our world and embody his love in our own lives. And we are uh, representing the change that we don't just want, but know will eventually overtake the whole world. We live in this in-between time where we know that God is coming, but the world hasn't quite yet changed in the way that we want. Thankfully, the story of God and his people that we find in Scripture teach us how the faithful in years past have waited for the fulfillment of God's promises by walking in his presence. In Isaiah, the darkness of a broken and indifferent world had fallen on the people of Israel, and that darkness seemed complete. Conquered and enslaved by their more powerful neighbor, they doubted whether they would ever see the light again. 
The last verses of Isaiah 8 show the people's uh, state of affairs that they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. They will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will all be driven away into deep shadow. Those words greatly distressed seem familiar to our world today. Darkness seems familiar to our world today. The Hebrew word for darkness reflects, of course, an absence of light, but it also represents the misery of living apart from God in a world flooded with the effects of sin and evil. In the beginning, the Hebrew word shalom uh, described the unifying harmony that God established throughout the universe. Now, shalom is another word that we can translate as peace. Then, at the very beginning, every part of creation works together for the good of the whole. In those early days, all things flourished together because they were at peace. But shalom, uh, this idea of peace, doesn't merely suggest an absence of conflict. It represents an intricate wholeness. Uh, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project says the word can refer to a stone that has a perfect shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed wall that has no gaps or missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that is complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness. When humanity sinned in the very beginning, that overriding harmony, that, that togetherness crumbled, and it resulted in a state of spiritual darkness. In our shattered world, suffering and sorrow became the norm. Disconnected from God and one another by sin, the history of humanity tends toward conflict and instability. Catholic uh, writer Thomas Burton sums up the human condition like this. We are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. The crisis that Israel faced just reveals humanity's spiritual condition, that we are walking in darkness because we are disconnected. We are not connected to the light. Disconnected from God, we are antagonistic to others. We are frustrated with ourselves, and we are desperate for peace, the peace that we lost so long ago. Thankfully, the Lord provides them with a promise. One day the Savior will come to make all things new and restore the peace, not just for them, but in them. In Jesus, the light of God's goodness and glory rises to make us and our whole world completely new. For the Israelites, it, of course, felt like the darkness would last forever. Sometimes, When we look at the news today, it seems that things are just getting worse and worse. We know how that feels. But God wants them to know, and he wants us to know too, that this isn't the end of the story. The darkness will one day fade. The darkness will one day be chased by the light. Now, this promise didn't free the Israelites from suffering, but it it taught them, and it teaches us today, How to wait for the promised peace Jesus will ultimately restore 
and also teach us how to walk in the ways of peace in our own life. Now, through this encouragement, the people learned how their present lives might actually reflect a future reality. They learned how to live in the light of that future peace, that future restoration. By his grace, our God will place his light in his people through the birth of a promised son, uh, son, a child whose name would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, this prophecy helps us understand how to walk with peace in a distinctly unpeaceful world uh, in three major ways. So first, the birth of this child establishes an entirely new kingdom and way of life. That's the first thing to notice. When Jesus is born, a new kingdom begins. Our God doesn't bring a temporary relief or offer them fleeting comfort, but defines an entirely new way of living. And this new reality, the Savior will establish, uh, God replaces the darkness with the light of his peace and love. In Isaiah 9.3, Yahweh multiplies his people and increases their joy as if they are celebrating the harvest or great victory. Now, he is telling this to people who have just been conquered, who have just been enslaved, and he's saying, the joy that you will feel when the Savior is born will be like when you are bringing in everything from the harvest, a time of celebration. It'll be like when you are celebrating a victory, a time to rejoice, time to celebrate. And the amazing thing is, is that God does this not for the defeat of their enemies, but the refashioning of how this world, and most importantly, how his uh, people's hearts work. The Savior will lift every burden his people carry, so they might use their hands to do something different. They might use their hands to build a new kingdom. The sin which separated them from from himself and others will be removed forever. The elimination of animosity and alienation that we uh, carry will be so complete, the instruments of war between the nations will be reserved uh, to be burned in the fire. Unlike the dark world the Israelites had experienced through conquest, God promises to establish everlasting peace in them and through Jesus. Second, the names of the child reveal how this peace is achieved in Jesus. So every one of these names, we could probably, uh, you could preach a sermon on every single one of these names. But every name reflects the depth of God's love towards his children lost in darkness. Wonderful Counselor answers the question the prophet Micah poses to the Israelites in Babylon. Why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? Has your helper vanished? Our God notices broken hearts. He understands what it's like to suffer because he suffered himself. And because he knows this, he tracks our every tear. He knows our every sorrow. Long before Jesus was born, God promises to send a counselor to console those who are crushed 
by the darkness and teach them how to model a new life, to teach them how to step into joy and love and hope. In Jesus, we find a counselor who relates to us because he took on human form and became one of us. He not only, he not only speaks about God's love, but he shows it on the cross. He comes to help us, to counsel us, to encourage us in ways that no one else ever can. Mighty God shows how God subdues the darkness that threatens his children. Jesus has defeated everything that could ever prevent us from returning to our Father's arms. No matter how hard life has been for you, maybe no matter how hard life is right now, nothing can separate us from the love of God. John Calvin writes, with good reason does Isaiah call him strong or mighty because our contest is with the devil and death and sin, what other people, uh, what Paul calls the powers and principalities of this world. But these enemies, Calvin says, are too powerful and strong by whom we would be immediately defeated if the strength of Christ had not rendered us invincible. In Jesus, we learn, we learn, we discover that the darkness, the brokenness of this world cannot overcome us. Everlasting Father points to the relationship that we have with God through Jesus, who says in John that I and the Father are, I and the Father are one. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. The darkness of sin prevents us from understanding that God is not our judge who wants to punish us, but our good father who wants to bless and save us. Finally, the Prince of Peace shows that in Jesus, we find peace with God and the freedom to pursue peace with others. The sin that separated us from our Lord has been abolished by the death of Jesus. Through his death, and resurrection, Jesus embodies and fulfills Isaiah. He says this in John 14. He says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. When Zechariah uh, saw the infant Jesus in Luke 1, he prophesied that this child would give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, to give light to those who sit in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Finally, Jesus places his spirit in us so that instead of walking in darkness, we might walk in the ways of peace. Everything that Jesus gives us transforms us. The peace of Jesus doesn't just calm, but transform our hearts. We see an echo of this spiritual principle in the relationship between a mother and her newborn uh, baby. One study showed that infants and their mothers synchronize their heartbeats whenever they look at each other's faces. Looking at 40 pairs of mothers and infants, scientists discovered two things. First, both mother and child immediately, immediately, within milliseconds, 
uh, found a deeper level of calm. Calm. Their hearts slowed and their entire body entered a more restful state when they looked at each other in the face. Second, as they looked at each other, the hearts of mother and child began to beat together. So within milliseconds, their hearts were aligned. This synchronization that we see in uh, the natural world between mothers and children happens to us on a spiritual level with us and Jesus as our Savior aligns our hearts with his. Quieted by his love, we are free to become more like him. We find a calm that flows from his kingdom, flooding our souls with a sense of belonging and a new desire to extend what we're feeling to others. Eventually, our hearts begin to beat when his heart beats, to break when his heart breaks, to rejoice when he rejoices and to love what our Savior loves. Rather than bearing fruits of selfishness, we bear fruits of the Spirit. Our words echo his words full of kindness and patience and love. His preoccupations become our own. We develop a thirst for goodness and a desire to extend grace to others. As we practice peace in our own lives, and then as a community of faith, others start to see an alternative to the broken ways of our broken world. Zechariah 9.10 tells us that the Messiah, when he comes, would speak peace to the nations. Now, while Jesus might occasionally do this through elected officials or governments or official proclamations, he does that most often through regular people like you and me. In a turbulent world, Jesus comes to live in us so we might not only find but actually be, might actually embody his peace in a broken world that is spinning out of control. Now, typically, this peace that we share is not in grand gestures, but in those routine interactions where our life overlaps with somebody else's. There's a million different ways that that happens. Every time you meet another person, you have a chance to extend peace, to model peace with that person. Just as Jesus calmed the storm, we are called to calm the anger and the angst and the sadness of a broken world. We are called to soothe rather than agitate, calm rather than upset, love instead of hate, rejoice rather than rage. We seek peace when we assume the best about others, when we help others flourish, when we train our hearts to react, not in anger, but compassion. Church, God alters the course of human history when his children live and extend the peace they find in Jesus to their family, to their friends, to their neighbors, to the people that they meet uh, out in the world, even those people in traffic that just cut you off. So today and tomorrow and every day that we draw breath, let us remember that we don't wait for peace. We are called to walk with peace because our peace has come to walk with us. Let us practice peace because Jesus lives on us and he has overcome the darkness of this broken world. 
Alleluia. Amen.